We live in a world of extremes. Certain things traditionally considered faults must be accepted absolutely and without exception. And certain other things traditionally considered faults are now unforgivable and irredeemable mistakes. Jesus' arms spread on the cross are wide enough to embrace all, and his pierced heart is deep enough to call us to become more than we are capable of. This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore the incarnation of Christ's love on the cross, the confession of sins, and the sacrament of penance. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started, I want to share some opportunities with you. If you want to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of patrons for as little as a cup of coffee a week. Uh, donate to support all of this work. So go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become a member of the nation. As a member of the nation, you'll get access to bonus content. And if you want to get access to that bonus content, an easy way to do it is on the Awaken app. The Awaken app is the best way to experience all the content published at Awaken Catholic. It includes a great discussion boards and alternative to social media and an opportunity, to, an opportunity to interact with the show hosts. So go to the awakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app in the Google Play or Apple App Store. Uh, if you want to experience something live and in person, we have an exciting event coming up May 21st and 22nd. 2021, Jason Everett will be coming to the Toledo area where Awaken Catholic is located for two events, Why Be Catholic and Sex, Love, and Porn. So May 21 and 22, go to awakencatholic.org to sign up. We are also partners with the Hollow app. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. It contains guided meditations, a course on learning to pray, sleep stories, and much more. To sign up with our partner link, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. And if you're interested in anything I'm publishing, go to becominggift.com. Or if you want help applying any of the ideas we discuss on Physically Spiritual, consider joining my spiritual direction and coaching practice at becominggift.com forward slash coach. This episode of Physically Spiritual, like I said, is about the sacrament of confession. First, just to get this out of the way, because we Catholics like to make things difficult to understand by using words that are hard to understand, we happen to have three different words all talking about the same thing. One is confession, another is penance, and the third is reconciliation. So you're going to see here Catholics basically use these terms interchangeably. If you hear them talk about the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of penance, or the sacrament of reconciliation, all three are the same thing. You sit down, you tell a priest your sins. He might give you a little advice. He might not. Uh, you pray an act of contrition that you're sorry. He prays forgiveness, absolution over you. Uh, and you go on your merry way and do the penance. It's all three the same thing. So I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, and now that we're past that, I want to share a story that I think illustrates the power of this sacrament more than almost anything else I've heard. In the 17th century, there was a young Jesuit named St. Claude de Colombier. He was canonized later, so he's a saint. And he met St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. St. Margaret is famous for her visions of the Sacred Heart. If you've ever seen that image of Jesus with his heart exposed and seated on a, like a throne of fire, uh, that's the image of the Sacred Heart. And uh, Margaret was having visions early on in her life. And of course, some people were skeptical of this. And after her first encounter with St. Claude, she told him that Jesus had appeared to her and had told her to ask him to be her spiritual director. <laughs> of course, he is pretty skeptical, right? Who wouldn't be? You know, this woman I don't even know comes up to me and doesn't just say, I've been seeing Jesus, but has also uh, saying, he told me to ask you to spend a lot of time talking to me. <laughs> um, you would be skeptical too. Father Claude's response was very interesting. He said, if Jesus appears to you again, um, this is what I want you to ask him to test him. 
He said, ask him what the last mortal sin that I confessed was, right? Because only people who could know that would be God and the priest whom he confessed it to. And that priest, what we're going to talk a little bit about later, is the seal of the confessional, literally can't tell anyone or even intentionally call to mind the sins that uh, were told him in the confessional. So Jesus appears to Margaret again. And he asked, she asked him the question, um, you know, what was Father Claude's last sin? Jesus's response was, I don't remember. Let that settle in. Now, if, if you're a person of faith uh, or if you're uh, studying the idea of God in philosophy, one of the common attributes attributed to God is omniscience like knowing everything, to be all-knowing, right? So for Jesus to say, I don't remember, it's a very profound statement because by going to confession, it was as if not just that Father Claude was forgiven of that grave sin, but it was as if that grave sin had never happened. Uh, so, so this is encouraging. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is amazing. You know, sure, there's probably, uh, you know, God's outside of time. He experiences all of creation simultaneously. Um, you know, so so in one sense, God does still know. But on the other sense, what's trying to be expressed here was that in uh, the beautiful love and forgiveness of our Lord, that we're given this means of receiving forgiveness in his church. So you might wonder, how the heck can a priest do that? Like, how can the priest hear someone's sins and then on God's behalf, forgive them, absolve them, make it as if it had never happened in God's eyes? Well, at the end of the Gospel of John, after Jesus rises from the dead, he appears to his, his apostles, and this is what he tells them in, in chapter 20. He says, peace be with you. I love when God starts out with that. It's like, and when you rise from the dead, you want to say, peace be with you when you run into people. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Jesus, God himself, literally delegates to the apostles the power to forgive sins. He gives them this power. Uh, later on in the New Testament, in the book of James, he gives this advice to the, the faithful, this instruction to the faithful. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Confess your sins to one another. So here's the recipe. Jesus gave the apostles to forgive sins. And then we're given the order to, to confess our sins to someone else. You mix them together. And there you have the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession. So this is what we believe, that, that when Jesus gave these people in the first century the power to forgive sins, uh, it's not like, oh shoot, I wasn't born in the first century, so now my sins can't be forgiven like that. No, we believe in apostolic succession. So after Judas met his unfortunate end, uh, the apostles weren't like, well, now there's just 11. No, they actually picked somebody new and prayed over them, and then that person was an apostle too. And then later on, Paul experiences this conversion and gets this great calling and is sent out by the other apostles and claims the authority of an apostle. And then he talks to one of the people he's mentoring, this guy named Timothy, who is a bishop, and this bishop seems to kind of carry the authority of an apostle too. So we see that in, for right from the beginning in the early church that these apostolic powers were passed on from generation to generation. And this is where we believe our priests and our bishops today receive the authority to forgive sins. Uh, this doesn't just make sense spiritually and theologically. Uh, one of the most famous influencers and scientists today is a lady named Brene Brown. One of her famous books is The Gifts of Imperfection. Uh, she is, is, it just emphasizes the idea that we need to embrace our vulnerability uh, she calls it the core of all emotions and feelings, the challenge to embrace vulnerability. Um, she insists that the path 
of embracing our vulnerability, of being vulnerable to other people, of sharing our deepest, darkest stuff leads to heartfelt joy and that we can't change, grow, or progress without the work that comes along with being vulnerable. Right? This researcher literally going out, like giving people surveys about their life, right? What she's discovered is that you can't grow and change, experience joy unless you're vulnerable, unless you open up and share. The catechism in paragraph 1455 says, the confession or disclosure of sins, even from a simple human point of view, frees us and facilitates our reconciliation with others. Right, so just on the human level, just on the natural level, this confessing of our sins, of saying out loud our deepest, darkest stuff, that frees us and reconciles us from others. It, the Catechism goes on to say, Through such an admission, man looks squarely at the sins he is guilty of, takes responsibility for them, and thereby opens himself again to God and the communion uh, of the church in order to make a new future possible. The confessions of sin makes a new future possible. There, there's something in us that wants to be known, that wants to be accepted. We're, we're, we're designed to be completely and fully known, not just partially known, right? There's something in the human heart that wants to be completely exposed to another and for that other to accept them. Uh, but there's also something in us that feels called to greatness, right? So that acceptance isn't isn't just a passive receiving and, and oh, that's just the case. That's what it is. It is what it is, you know? No, no, there's something in our heart that wants more, that wants to be great. A, a 2014 study published in the American, by the American Psychological Association states, people found that partial confessions were attractive because they expected partial confessions to be more believable, uh, Right? That, that if you confess partially, it'll be accepted by the other person. It'll be more believable by the other person. Then it goes on to say, people failed, however, to anticipate the emotional costs associated with partially confessing. In fact, partial confessions made people feel worse than not confessing or fully confessing. A finding corroborated in a laboratory setting as well as in a study assessing people's everyday confessions. It seems that although partial confessions seem attractive, they come at an emotional cost. There's something deep down in us that wants to be fully known, right? We don't want to just hint at what we've done wrong and be accepted. We don't want to, to, to fudge the truth or, or shave off the corners. We want to put it out there and be loved. We want to put it out there and be forgiven. We want to put it out there and be accepted, uh, this is the cry of the human heart. So, so the sacrament of confession, that God would give us this context where, like I said, the priest is under this thing called the seal of the confessional. And when I see, see, say seal, don't think of like the animal that flops around on the ground and barks. When I say seal, think of the seal of a king who, who would uh, seal an envelope with wax and, and put his impression on that wax, right? The idea of that seal is that it guarantees that once that piece of mail gets to wherever it's headed, it's guaranteed that you know that it hasn't been opened, right? It cannot be broken. And the church takes this so seriously that if a, a priest breaks the seal of the confessional, um, that that can only be forgiven through the Vatican, through through the, the Pope's ministry through the Vatican, in order for, for them to continue their public ministry. It's that serious. So we're given this context where we can open up and share our literally deepest, darkest stuff. And, and as long as we're truly sorry, have contrition, we'll talk more about contrition later, uh, we receive absolution, complete forgiveness, uh, reconciliation with the church and with God. And we're also given a means of growth of becoming what we're truly called to be in our penance. So what are we supposed to confess? What is this, this stuff that we talk about in the confessional? I've been using this term sin a lot. In the New Testament, one of the, the Greek words for sin is harmetsia. I guarantee you I pronounced that wrong. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, this term was used in both archery and acting. 
It carried the context of missing the mark. So imagine you're aiming for the target and you miss. Uh, So this idea of missing the mark, in paragraph 1849 of the Catechism, it states that sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It's a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as an utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. And then the next paragraph starts, sin is an offense against God. All right, this is really important. It's not like God was sitting up in heaven before he sent Jesus thinking like, what are the ways I should make people's lives more difficult? Like, let's come up with some really hard stuff, and I'm going to pull it out of the clouds, and I'm going to give it to Jesus to then tell the people to make these really hard rules for them. No, no, that's not what God's doing at all. When Jesus talks about what harms us, what harms our relationship with the Father, what's truly sinful, Jesus isn't just making up really difficult stuff that doesn't make any sense. Jesus is teaching us how to be human. Jesus is teaching us how to be human. Jesus is teaching us our design and and how to live in accordance with that design. So like you, you all have all kinds of stuff in your home um, and it's all designed for a certain purpose. Like your television is designed for watching TV, right? You turn it on and it creates a picture and you watch it and probably more than you ought to, like uh, if you're anything like me. Uh, Now you also have a hammer in your house and, and that hammer is used to hammer in nails, right? Well, imagine you use your TV to hammer in a nail. How well is that going to work? Right? You might damage the case or just flat out break the TV, right? The TV is not designed to hammer in a nail. Well, human beings, we're not designed to just do anything and everything. We're designed to love and to be loved. We're designed to know and to be known, right? We're designed to love and to be loved, to know and to be known. So when Jesus is is teaching us what is wrong, what's sinful, uh, when God was doing the same thing in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments, he's teaching his people how to be human again. He's teaching them the natural law. He's teaching them his design. He's he's giving us uh, sort of the instructions on how to flourish, on how to experience joy. This paragraph also explains why we sin. It says, it's a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. A perverse attachment. That sounds kind of kind of weird. An attachment, an attachment is something in our heart where we're attracted to something in the world in an inordinate way, meaning either too much or not enough. An inordinate attachment. So like you might be not enough attracted to something. Like maybe you and your spouse are struggling right now, or maybe there's something that you really value and and she doesn't possess it. So maybe you struggle actually to not be attracted enough to your spouse, right? There's something perverse in that, to not be attracted to your spouse. On the other hand, there might be something that you're too attracted to. Like one of the things I'm too attracted to is ice cream ice cream. It's cold. It's sweet. doesn't take up any space. It sets your brain on fire. It's wonderful stuff, right? It's, it's food porn basically. Um, so I'm too attracted to ice cream. So any way that our heart is either not attached enough to something it should be, or too attached to something that it ought not be, this is the root of sin is this disordered attachment to the things of the world. And what does it does? It wounds the nature of the man and injures human solidarity. It wounds the nature of man. So when I sin, it doesn't just uh, like cause this bad thing out there that like damages my relationship with God. That sin actually makes those attachments worse. One of the punishments of sin is that sometimes we enjoy it, and that enjoyment of it attaches us to it more deeply. Uh, sin is in a sense, spiritual suicide. So every time we sin, we're, we're destroying ourselves, but then we're also becoming more attached to destroying ourselves, or even addicted to destroying ourselves. It also injures human solidarity, solidarity relationships, being connected to others. So every time we sin, we're also harming others in our ability to connect and relate to others. Uh, 
So this is pretty bad. <laughs> this is pretty bad. It's, and, and if this isn't bad enough, it's also an offense against God, our creator, our lover, our redeemer, the one who died on the cross for us, right? We're offending our Lord. Uh, this, this, so this brings out what I would call the three effects of sin, the three primary effects of sin. One, the offense against God. So it damages our relationship with God. There's a vertical effect. Second, it damages our relationships and, and could even bring us out of communion with the church. That's kind of the horizontal effect with others. But there's also the effect on the sinner. So it damages our nature. It causes us to have more attachments. And I have good news. This is exactly what the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, is designed to heal. The priest reconciles us to God, the vertical effect, reconciles us with the church, the horizontal effect. One of the effects of confession is to perfect contrition in us, right? So it basically helps us to become detached from our sins. And then we're given a penance, and a penance is something we do contrary to those attachments to reform and heal our nature. It heals our nature. So the, the sacrament itself is designed to overcome the effects of sin. Let's go through our three layers of the sacrament. So the first layer is the sign of the sacrament, the sign itself, the sacramentum tantum. The, the sign itself, the matter of the sacrament, what's required physically to be present for the, the, the grace to happen is the confession of sins. Right? Words are physical things. It's a vibration of particles, and it reaches the priest's ear, and, and his brain interprets that sound. So there's this physical side of saying something. Saying something out loud is meaningful. It's different than just thinking it in our mind. And in our body and the person who hears it body reacts to those words. So it's confessing sins with contrition, with sorrow. And the form is a prayer of absolution. It's a prayer that the priest prays. It's a beautiful prayer, and this is uh, the typical form. The priest will say, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and the resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Right? So, so the first half of this prayer starts out by uh, forming our heart and mind to the truth of the gospel, right? to, to teaching us what the foundation of this is, that God is the Father of mercy, Right? That's an awesome title, the Father of Mercy. I want that love. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Through the Paschal Mystery, he reconciled the world to himself, not just me, the whole world to himself. And then he sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's working through the church. So it goes on, through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those are some of the most beautiful words. If you've ever heard them prayed over you, uh, you know how beautiful they sound. If you haven't, I would encourage you to to become Catholic and give it a try. Um, To hear those words, it's absolutely peaceful. I was reading an article in preparation for this episode. It was by, uh, I think it was, she's either a counselor or a psychologist who um, has fallen away from the faith and she was actually lamenting. She said, I, I can't be Catholic because I disagree with so much of what the church says, but I miss going to confession. And she said she can't find that experience anywhere else. Um, I'll try to find the article and link it in the show notes. The next layer of the sacrament, the res et sacramentum, the sign and the reality. Right? This is, this is what the sacrament works in us, the first layer of the effect in us. The sacrament actually... Um, actually helps form the person to have true contrition, true contrition. So Catechism paragraph 1453 explains this. It says, The contrition called imperfect or attrition is also a gift of God, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It is born of the consideration of sin's ugliness or the fear of eternal damnation and the other penalties threatening the sinner, like, uh, like fear, um, the, the negative effects of sin. Such a stirring of conscience can initiate 
an interior process which under the prompting of grace will be brought to completion by sacramental absolution. By itself, however, imperfect contrition cannot obtain the forgiveness of grave sin, but it disposes one to obtain the forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. Right, so we can have this imperfect contrition, and this is contrition out of fear, right? either that I've harmed others, I've lost my relationship with the church, I've lost my relationship with God, that if I die I'm going to go to hell, that I've done bad things and it's hurt me. Right? This, is, this isn't uh, what we're called to, but this is enough. And actually, imperfect contrition is what's required for the sacrament to be valid. But one of the effects of the sacrament, one of the effects of saying your sins out loud to the priest, hearing their response, receiving uh, their body, hearing you say their sins, right? Because you're seeing how they react to what you say, or at least you're hearing their response to what you say. And then receiving the grace of absolution, receiving that prayer and the grace that comes along with it. One of the first effects of that is to turn your imperfect contrition into perfect contrition. And perfect contrition is contrition out of love of God. Contrition because we've harmed the Lord, not because of something bad that's going to happen to us. It's a selfless contrition. It's a disinterested contrition. It's a contrition of a lover who sees how much their beloved is wounded. This is perfect contrition. And this is what uh, the sacrament can work in our heart. And it does this because in the sacrament, we experience the Father of mercies. We experience the Father's love. And in that, that love transforms us. That love makes us something new. It makes us who we're ultimately called to be. So we're called to this perfect contrition, but not having perfect contrition isn't a reason not to approach the sacrament, right? All that's required for it to be valid is just any contrition, any sorrow for sin. So the the final effect of the sacrament is complete reconciliation with God, restoration of divine life, and restoration of infused virtues, right? This is... Uh, this is something that's a good distinction to talk about, the restoration of divine life. Uh, so there's certain sins um, that are worse than others. And the scripture says that there are certain sins that kill or that are mortal. And the church has interpreted this to mean that certain sins kill our spiritual life and other sins just damage it. And we often use the terms mortal sin versus venial sin. Uh, a, a venial sin offends God, damages us, harms our spiritual life. And on the other hand, uh, the uh, mortal sin completely severs my relationship with God, significantly damages my human nature, and also uh, kills my spiritual life. Now, what do I mean by my spiritual life? Because when I say that, I don't mean the life of my spirit, my soul, the form of my body, right? my animating principle or my, my essence, uh, that's still there whether or not I sin. Now, every sin darkens my mind and weakens my will. So every sin damages my soul in a sense. But the, div- the divine life is my spiritual life. The divine life is my spiritual life. So when, as a Catholic, I talk about my spiritual life. I'm not talking about the fact that my soul is functioning. What I'm talking about is God's indwelling presence in me. One of the effects of the sacrament of baptism is receiving the Spirit of God. So my spiritual life is that life of God within me, the life of the Holy Spirit within me. So when I commit a mortal sin, I forfeit that. And confession is the only means of restoring that divine life, that certain It's the only means of restoring that divine life that's certain. Now, why do I say it that way? Because if you do make perfect contrition, meaning you confess your sins with that perfect sorrow, that's very difficult without receiving that grace in the sacrament itself, that that those grave sins can be forgiven, right? That that can forgive it. But it's actually in church law that even if we, if we pray in our mind and have perfect contrition and our sins are forgiven that way, that we ought to bring those sins to the next time we go to confession. 
The, the church actually asks us to go to confession at least once a year, and we're required to confess all of the grave sins we've committed in that time. You might ask, what's a grave sin? Well, you're in luck, because I actually did a word search of the catechism and the word grave. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. You know, when the catechism talks about what a grave sin is, it, it says a sin directly against the Ten Commandments, something against the Ten Commandments. But then the whole section of the catechism on sin uh, goes section by section under different categories of things we can do wrong under the Ten Commandments. Some paragraphs literally say this is a grave offense. This is gravely contrary to human nature. This is a grave sin. So here's the list. Sacrilege, magic or sorcery, blasphemy, making a false oath, because making a false oath makes God the witness of a lie. Skipping Sunday Mass, murder, and and different kinds of murder underneath it, like abortion, euthanasia, suicide, uh, causing a death by lack of care. Right, if you're negligent and it causes someone to die, cooperating with the killing of someone else, terrorism, which is threatening to kill someone else. This one got me when I read it. Uh, not acting to relieve famine when possible. That if someone in the world is experiencing a, a, a famine, meaning by natural reason something's happening and they literally don't have food to eat, we're required by the natural law to, to do what we can to provide food to those people. And if we don't, that's a grave sin. Scandal. If I do something scandalous, it's I ought not to be doing it and other people know about it. So then it can lead them into the same sense of scandal that leads another into a grave offense. Anger to the point of desiring to harm or kill someone else. You know, so somebody cuts you off in traffic and you think, I hope that guy gets in a car accident. That's grave sin. Uh, gluttony. Overeating to the point of either harming yourself or another person, meaning that they don't have enough food. The use of drugs, any use of drugs in a non-therapeutic setting. And I wouldn't be, uh, be too lax with that one. So any sex outside of marriage, masturbation, fornication, prostitution, rape, etc., etc. Pornography, both the creation or consumption of polygamy, incest, divorce, if you initiate it or cause it, not if you're the victim of it. Any artificial form of conception, right, being a sperm donor, ovum donor, surrogacy, artificial insemination, in vitro fertilization, any cheating or unfair gambling practices, refusing to pay somebody a just wage, adulation, which is to be an accomplice for or to praise someone else's grave sin, to adulate, to praise somebody else's grave sin is to commit a grave sin. So a lie that gravely injures justice or charity, to bear false witness or to perjure somebody, to divulge professional secrets or confidential information, or to envy someone to the point where you wish harm on that person, that they didn't have what you wish you had. So here's the list. This isn't an exhaustive list, and maybe reading that's kind of depressing uh, for you to hear. But here's the good news. God offers forgiveness for all these things. It's it's a gut check for me to read some of those too. Um, so this is what the, the church is, requires us to confess these things. Um, not because like priests are weird and they really want to hear about all your problems. Uh, I don't know if it's an enjoyable experience for them or not. But the idea isn't that the, the, the church wants to hear your confession. The idea is the church wants you to be free. And, and what the church asks of us is the bare minimum it's the bare minimum to maintain the divine life in us. So asking us to go to confession once a year, to share those grave sins and at least have imperfect contrition, that's the minimum. But we're called to so much more than that because we're called to be in the image and likeness of God. Christ says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, so the good news is you can actually go to confession as much as you'd like. So what goes into making a good confession? What are the elements of a good confession? The first is examining your conscience. Examining your conscience. Oh, I forgot a point on that previous, before I went off and listed the grave sins. Why is confession the only means that, that we know of to forgive those grave sins, those mortal sins? It's the only means because the mortal sin um, 
rejects the divine life in us. So there are other things that have the power to forgive sins, like receiving communion has the power to forgive sins, and receiving the sacrament of the anointing of the sick has the power to forgive sins. But neither of these sacraments is ordered toward the restoration of divine life in us. So we receive that divine life by baptism. The mortal sin forfeits that divine life, and what restores it is the confession of it and receiving of the absolution. So the the, the grace we receive in the other sacraments is ordered toward the maintenance of that divine life and the growth of that divine life, so the nurturing of it. And this is even to the point where, where church law states that if somebody is, I believe the language is either persistent or not contrite, in grave sin, that they should not be given the sacrament of anointing of the sick. That they shouldn't receive it. They shouldn't be, be given it. Well, why is this? Why is this? It's because uh, it's having that divine life in us is what makes us capable of receiving the other sacraments. Uh, this is why in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10 or chapter 11, St. Paul says that if we approach the altar unworthily, we're eating condemnation on ourselves. Right? We're, we're literally condemning ourselves by eating it because we're not worthy of receiving communion because of how good we are. Right? Being the best human ever doesn't make you worthy of receiving communion. I'm worthy of receiving communion because I have the divine life in me. And having that divine life in me is not something I am capable of achieving. It's something I must receive. So if I forfeited that divine life, or if I don't have it because I'm not uh, baptized and in communion with the church, then I'm incapable of of receiving the grace that would be offered to me in that communion. Uh, There's a gap there. So this is why uh, we must go to confession to have our grave sins forgiven. Now, I've been using two terms almost kind of interchangeably. One is something that's grave, and the other is something that's mortal. And there's a bit of a a technicality here. A mortal sin is, is a grave sin that's done with full knowledge and full consent, meaning I know how bad it is, And I choose it with freedom, with the consent of the will. So I need to have knowledge of the gravity and freedom of choice when I'm consenting to that grave thing in order for it to be mortal. Meaning if I do a grave sin and I either don't know that it's grave sin or uh, there's something that's taken away my freedom, right? I'm, I'm not able to fully choose it, then I have less culpability, culpability. And culpability is just a technical term that means uh, my subjective guilt that I carry along with it. Uh, So in in doing that, um, then I haven't forfeited the divine life because I haven't made myself incapable of it, right? God's a merciful God and he knows our heart and our intention. But but here's the uh, the difficult thing with that. Even though uh, I can do something that's grave and, and if I'm not doing it with full knowledge or full freedom, I don't forfeit the divine life that grave action still damages my human nature. It still darkens my mind, turns my will toward evil, uh, turns my passions towards things that are going to destroy me. So that grave sin, even if it's not mortal sin, that grave sin um, causes significant damage to me. And this is why one of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish the sinner And another is to instruct the ignorant. So even though people's grave sins are only mortal if they have full knowledge and consent, it's not merciful for for us not not to teach people what's bad. Because those things they're doing are still damaging them. They're still harming themselves. It's still really an act of of spiritual self-destruction. So we, we need to find ways to compassionately and lovingly um, call people into a relationship with Christ, and then when they know how much God loves them, then to teach them the fullness of the truth, the fullness of what the church teaches. Um, all right, so back to the, the point. How to, to make a good confession? The first thing is examination, to what's sometimes called examine our conscience. So an examine is a, a prayer, a meditation, where I'm meditating on my own life. And in a future episode, we're actually going to have a whole episode about the examine prayer. But an examination of conscience is particularly me looking at my life 
and trying to discover the places where I've fallen short of my calling. Your conscience is your internal sense of right and wrong. Think of in the cartoons, you have the little devil and the little angel and the whispering in the person's ear, right? This is an illustration that's trying to uh, show the idea of conscience. But this idea of conscience at a deeper level is how much we're in touch with reality, right? The point of our mind that's in touch with the natural law and the eternal law. So our conscience isn't something that comes innate in us. It's something that needs to be formed. So think of it this way, that the conscience is kind of like, kind of like a car, right? To follow your, your well-formed conscience is a, a sure way to become like God. But it has to be formed, right? That car has to be filled with gas. <laughs> if there's no fuel in the car, if it's not filled with truth, that car is not going to take you anywhere, right? So, so an ill-formed conscience, a conscience that doesn't know the truth, that hasn't been uh, saturated in, in a good example by others, especially parents, that hasn't been saturated in the scripture and the teachings of the church, right? That conscience is going to actually lead the person even though they don't know it, so they're not fully culpable, um, but still going to lead them to a deeper and deeper attachment to sin and to things that aren't good for them. So to examine your conscience is simply to go through your life and consider what have I done that's offended God or harmed me? What have I done to harm my relationships with others? Um, One of the best ways to do this is actually to do it every day, right? You should at least do it before your confession, leading up to your confession, but to integrate a daily examine, a daily examine that in your heart, you recognize all the good stuff, right? Gratitude toward what God has done for you, but then also recognize ways you've fallen short to confess it to the Lord in your heart and to pray an act of contrition, a prayer of contrition of sorrow, right? And and you do that in anticipation of the next time that you'll make a sacramental confession, Right? I might go a month between my confessions, right? maybe three weeks, four weeks, five weeks between when I go to confession. I can't even remember what I had for dinner a couple nights ago. Right? How am I supposed to remember the sins I did five weeks ago? Um, I've heard the, the sin idea compared to like a messy car. Like when your car is really clean, it's easy to notice when you drop food in it or, or when you leave something sitting there. But once your car is a mess, you don't even notice what you're dropping anymore. And this is what our soul can be like when it's riddled with sin. We don't even notice when we do something wrong anymore. If you notice you're there, that's always a good sign to go back to confession. Um, so conf- examining your conscience every day, examining your life every day, is the best way to prepare yourself to examine, to prepare to go to confession, and to build that habit of contrition, Right, that it's not just something you try to rouse up in the confessional, but it becomes a habit of your heart and mind to realize the way your sin has harmed others and harmed the Lord. So examination, the first step to a good conscience. The second is to have this sense of contrition, uh, to have this sorrow for sin. But an, an essential element of contrition is the desire not to do the sin again. And when I say sorrow for sin, I'm not actually talking about an emotional sorrow, right? We're not trying to manipulate ourselves and make ourselves feel bad and beat ourselves up for sinning. The sorrow here is a spiritual sorrow, a spiritual in the sense of on the level of knowledge, on the level of your will and on the level of your passions. So it's, it's a recognition of what is and allowing yourself to be truly impacted by it. It's a coming to a truthful experience of the situation in light of God's presence. And with that, carried with that, essential to that, is the desire to not sin again, meaning that you actually don't want to keep doing it. If, if you confess and, and your, your um, contrition is imperfect, meaning it's out of fear, that's one thing. But to confess with the intention to repeat the sin is actually a way that the sacrament might be made invalid. It might be a way to have no contrition. So confessing with the premeditation of doing it again and not rejecting that desire, not wanting that to be different, because remember, it's on the level of the spirit, not on the level of the emotion, um, that can that can severely uh, reduce the grace, severely put a blockage to the grace from affecting your life. So working up to that contrition, how can we build contrition? Well, that daily examine is key. 
One practice you might try is to go back with your memory to one of your sins that you've committed. And then in that memory, imagine Christ present because he was present. Like God is always present to us. So Jesus is truly there. So, so you're, you're exposing your imagination to the truth of the situation that Jesus was present. And then imagine doing that sin again with Jesus sitting there. You could even like up the ante and imagine Christ on the cross or like the scourging at the pillar or something. Um, That might be a little too much for you. So uh, you don't have to go that deep with it. But calling to mind both the reality of our sin and the reality of Christ's passion. Right. So this is the next thing you can do is meditate on Jesus's passion. Read the scripture passages associated with Christ's suffering and death. Go through the stations of the cross. And this can help form this contrition in you, this recognition of what has happened uh, in your sin. Another way uh, to to rouse this contrition in you could be actually to share your sins with someone else. The confessional doesn't have to be the only place you share your sins. You can tell other people too. And it's actually recommended that you tell other people because you don't want to be alone with your sins, right? The priest who receives your confession can't even bring it up to you later. Right, So they can't support you in your day-to-day life. They can't give you feedback outside the confessional. They only see a sliver of your life and what you tell them. So they can't really give you advice in full context. But other people in your life know you and live with you. So sharing your sins with other people can help to form truer contrition in you. All right, the third element is the confession of sins. But there's a bit of an art to the confession of sins. Uh, Here's what uh, Canon 988 in church law says. A member of the Christian faithful is obliged to confess in kind and number all grave sins committed after baptism and not yet remitted directly through the keys of the church, nor acknowledged in an individual confession. So all grave sins you haven't confessed yet. Of which the person has knowingly after diligent examination of conscience. Then it goes on and says, it is recommended to the Christian faithful, that they also confess venial sins, right? So it's recommended that you confess all of your sins. Remember back from that article, the partial confession can actually make things worse. So you want to share all of your sins, get it all out there. But it says specifically with grave sins to confess the kind and the number, meaning what specifically happened and how often did it happen or how many times did it happen? Now you might not remember how many times it happened. So you could talk about like the frequency like this happens about once a month or or maybe five times a month or every week or every day or this many times a day or or whatever kind of just give them a, a sense of how often or you might know the actual number and the kind. Uh, kind is important. It's easy to hide behind vocabulary, to hide behind vocabulary. What I mean by that is to say really churchy words or technical terms that don't actually lay bare the fact and the truth of what happened. Um, But on the other hand, sorry, I hit the microphone. On the other hand, the priest doesn't need to know all the gory details of your life. And actually, it's not helpful for you. So they don't need to hear the whole story and who all the little things that led up to it and everything else. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be vague. But what you want to do is you, you want to Accuse yourself of the facts, meaning simply state what's happened. So you could say something very uh, technical like, I have struggled with lust. <laughs> okay. Or, or you might, on the other hand, confess the, to the priest the gory details of your one-night stands. Like, he doesn't need to know that. But you might say it plainly like this. On, on Friday evening, I go out and look for a woman whom I don't know to have sex with. And that happens almost every week, right? Plainly stating it, clearly stating it, the priest knows what it is. Um, And it's also a way of exposing the truth of the situation. Um, That's my recommendation for how to confess your sins. And then the, the final thing to make a good confession is satisfaction. Satisfaction. Catechism paragraph 1459 says, Many sins wrong our neighbor. One must do what is possible in order to repair the harm. Examples it gives, return stolen goods, 
restore the reputation of someone slandered, pay compensation for injuries. It says simple justice requires as much, but sin also injures the and weakens the sinner himself, as well as his relationship with God and neighbor. Absolution takes away the sin, but it does not remedy all the disorders that sin has caused. Raised up from sin, the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by doing something more to make amends for the sin. He must make satisfaction or expiate his sins. This satisfaction is also called penance. So this expiation for sin, this uh, this thing we do to, in a sense, make up for the wrong we've done, so that must include any damage to the extent that we can, um, any damage that we've done to harm others. Now, I'll make a caveat with that because sometimes repairing the damage we've done others is going to cause further damage, right? So, so this needs to be discussed with others and you need to receive prudent counsel to determine whether or not you're going to do further damage in trying to repair the damage you've done. You need to take into account your family, your duties, et cetera, et cetera, when you consider that. So you need to repair the damage that's done. But in addition to that, you've damaged yourself, right? You've caused attachments to sin. You've wounded your, your, your mind and your heart and your emotions. And now you don't just uh, have like a habit of sin. You actually want to sin more. You've, you've done something to harm yourself. So by doing penance, you're healing that wound. You're working against it. You're doing things contrary to reform your passions, to reform your mind, and to reform your will in accordance with God's design so that you can flourish. So in the confession, typically the priest will give a penance, will assign a penance. But a lot of times these aren't overly burdensome. And, and if, if a penance the priest gives you is actually overly burdensome, you can tell them that. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Um, can you uh, suggest something else? I would especially recommend that some people struggle with a sin called scrupulosity. And scrupulosity is considering things that aren't sinful sinful or considering things that aren't grave sins to be actually grave sins. So it's either an exaggerated estimation of how bad something is or it could be considering something sinful that's not. And this is often backed by a certain amount of emotional distress that goes along with it or the inability to, um, to get it out of your head. So if you're a particularly scrupulous person and you know that, the priest might give you a confession that's hard to measure, that's not very concrete. For example, a confession like, spend some time with God thinking about what you've done and, how, and, and, and realize how that's harmed him. Right, it's a beautiful confession. If you spend some time in meditation on the passion, experience a deeper contrition for your your sin, form yourself to not struggle again. But on the other hand, there's a lot of vagueness in that, right? Like, how long should you spend? What if I don't feel it? Right? There's a lot of space that the scrupulous person might um, <laughs> might frankly go go crazy, wondering if they've ever done their penance well enough from their last confession. Um, so you can ask for something more specific or for clarification. But beyond that, we should take on penance in our life to reform us. And this is a, a part of going to confession well, is living a lifestyle of penance, living a sacrificial life. So number one is uh, doing penance, doing asceticism is uh, doing well the suffering that the Lord has already put on your plate. So there are sufferings, there are illnesses, there are difficulties and struggles and 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 hard things that are already in your life. Carrying these well are a penance we're invited to. Not that we're not called to seek healing and redemption and to to fix broken things and to make things better. Yeah, we're supposed to do that too. But part of it is the willingness to carry those things in the meantime while they're being healed healed well and, and in a way that imitates Christ. The second thing is just having the basics of our spiritual life down. Like if you're not praying every day, that's probably the next ascetical thing, the next penance you should pick up is just to pray every day. Like forget about all the fasting you might do and, and the other fancy noble penances you might do and ascetical programs you might take on. Like pray every day. That's that's ascetical. That's a penance. That's going to form your heart and your mind toward the Lord. And then beyond that, you're carrying your suffering well. You have that that spiritual life that you're you're living right. You're you're praying every day. You're going to mass regularly every day if you can, or more often. You're going to confession regularly, like 
at least every year is what the church asks, monthly even or even weekly if it's necessary. Um, and then you're also doing this regular examine, so you have that that core of your spiritual life in place. Then alongside of that, it's really helpful to pick up other voluntary penances. But like I've said in other episodes, that fit your story, that fit your situation, that will work against the particular wounds that are in your heart. So this life of penance. And this is this is the 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 dynamism, the the growing um, of the heart to receive the full grace that's offered us in the confessional, because one of the graces that's offered us in the confessional is it's not just the forgiveness of our sins, but it's the recreation of our soul, it's the restoration of virtue. So even if you've fallen into sin by confessing well, you could actually be catapulted to a place in grace beyond where you were before. That's the grace that the sacrament could offer you. So that regular confession, that devotional practice of going to confession on a regular basis, in the midst of this life of examine, this life of penance, this life of honest confession of both to yourself and others and to the priest, this is this is uh, the life of contrition, of forming this true sorrow for sin. This is an, an engine of God-likeness, of becoming like our Lord, of having your heart and mind transformed and growing in faith, hope, and love. So you do have one more option to consider. Are you going to do it face-to-face or behind a screen? (laughs) You might know from Catholic films that oftentimes confessions portrayed behind a screen, but you can also go face-to-face. Um, I know in my life, this is something I've, I've had to adjust. There was a season of my life where I noticed I was going to confession, but every time I was going, I was going regularly, I was going to a different priest and always behind the screen. Not like I was intentionally hitting up a different church every time, but every time it was a different priest. And I realized there was something in my heart of shame that I wanted my confession to be more anonymous, that I didn't want the priest to realize the full extent of my brokenness. Um, So by going behind the confessional and going to a different place every time, I was kind of like showing myself but not showing myself. They each just got a sliver. So I made the choice after that to start always going face-to-face and to go to the same priest, to have a regular confessor that I chose to go to. And this is so my sins are confessed in context, and I and they know me and my story, and I can be loved in it. Now, other people I know struggle when they go to confession to experience Christ in the confessional, meaning the person of the priest maybe their reactions or whatever can be an obstacle for them realizing that they are confessing to God and not just the priest. So in this case, I know some people have chosen to start going behind the screen every time with the intention of being able to meditate on the fact that Christ is receiving their words when they're confessing, right? So it's in the context of your story that you make this decision on how to confess, when to confess, and to whom to confess. But here's the beautiful thing. The same Jesus that you confess to every time you examine your conscience is the same Jesus you confess to every time you go to confession is the same Jesus who's going to be there at your last judgment. It's the same God who will be there at your final judgment. right? So, so that, that final judgment, if we live the well-examined life, the well-confessed life, the, the life of penance, that final judgment doesn't become just a moment of fear God's going to crush me. It can become a moment of intimacy, right? The, the father who's revealed my heart to me progressively throughout my life, who I've, I've grown to know more deeply how I affect, that I've grown in love with and received his love, that moment of, of judgment becomes a moment of, of an even deeper intimacy, an even deeper experience of knowing myself and being known, uh, in, in experiencing God's love and God's mercy in the midst of that, in purgatory and in God's arms in heaven. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. 
We here at Awaken all use Hello every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.